Good morning, folks, and welcome back. Good to have you with us here on the Mark Steiner Show on your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. On the way to our conversation, I'll remind you, conversations like this and the Mark Steiner Show are brought to you in part by the Maryland State Education Association. From limiting over testing to protecting public school funding, you can learn more about the issues affecting Maryland students, parents, and schools by visiting the Maryland State Education Association's website at MarylandEducators.org. That's MarylandEducators.org. Or at SteinerShow.org is the Maryland State Education Association banner. We are going to examine a program that began in Baltimore. We talked about here in one of our roundtables just last week and the other week, which is an alternative to arresting people. The program is called LEAD, which will explore law enforcement assisted diversion program, where people who are arrested for misdemeanor drug offenses uh, and offenses like prostitution, instead of going to jail, um, are brought to diversion programs. We're going to talk about what that means, how many people does it really affect, why it is where it is, what the history is around the country, where my lead is here in Baltimore. We are joined by Scott Nolan, who is Director of Drug Addiction Treatment Program for Open Society Institute Baltimore, and the Open Society and some other foundations are the lead funders in this project. This is a pilot program. Scott, good to see you again. Good to have you in the studio. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, Captain James Roden is with us, Baltimore City Police Department, who is overseeing this program. Captain, good to have you in the studio with us. Thank you. Krista Taylor is here, who's Vice President of Programs for the Behavioral Health System of Baltimore, which is the project that oversees this behavioral health systems in the city and uh, where these people going to programs diverted to. Good to have you in the studio. Thank you. You all can join us here at 410-319-8888. Tweet us at Mark Steiner. Send an email to talk at steinershow.org. But do let us know what you think at 410-319-8888. So, Scott, I was, let me start with you to get the genesis of this program. And, and so LEAD is happening from reading in the national reports. It, it's, it's all over the country, right? Yes. So um, initially, um, Open Society Foundations, which um, is the, the organization for which I work, um, funded uh, – uh, uh, a pilot project in Seattle um, to see sort of what what could you do, do differently to uh, address actually a, a number of things. One, um, racial disparities in police contact uh, and and in incarceration uh, of individuals. Um, and so um, we re- we recognize that one of the reasons why people come into contact with individuals is because of substance use and and also mental health uh, issues. And so. Um, we supported uh, a group of folks getting together, police, uh, district attorney, um, community advocates to sort of think differently about the way in which we address substance use uh, in the community. And LEAD is what came out of that process. So, so, so just how did it all come about? I mean, so I'm curious from the police end. I mean, how did this begin for you? So actually, um, the program was brought to the police department's attention. Um, so when in looking at it, and looking to seeing the successes that Seattle and all has had, um, Commissioner Davis has been very supportive of the program, and we've really been running uh, head forth to try to get the program up and running in its pilot area. So, I mean, so what, what are the successes? When we say success in Seattle, what do we mean success in Seattle? Or success anywhere else that it was taking place. Uh, so, so one of the major successes is that um, Seattle has seen a reduction in the amount of money that they're spending in the criminal justice system. Which, um, in in this time of tight budgets where we don't, uh, there's uncertainty about where funds are going to co- uh, come from uh, for various types of programs. Being smarter about how we spend money is a very important part. And so, on on average, uh, what Lead found is that they spent twenty five hundred dollars less 
per participant in LEAD. Uh, and, and that's really just related to their criminal justice involvement. It doesn't include um, decreasing emergency department visits um, and, and other types of uh, social services uh, that are less necessary because LEAD is there to sort of make certain that the so person gets... So what does that mean, $20 less? You're talking about that... The Less money is spent because a person is in a diversion program and not incarcerated. Is yeah, that what you mean? Because the person is having less contact with the police because that that's time and money. When when a person uh, is arrested, um, they have to go through an arraignment process that costs money. All of those types of costs associated with being uh, moving through the criminal justice system are lessened when you address the root causes uh, or the root uh, things that predict uh, a, a, a contact with the criminal justice system. So. So then, so now, how how does your group affect this, Krista? So, <clears throat> excuse me, we're here because uh, we oversee the provider system, um, and we put a procurement out on the streets to select a, a vendor to provide the services. And uh, chose Baltimore Crisis Response, which is the crisis uh, response provider for the city. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and who runs Baltimore Crisis Response? Who runs Baltimore Crisis yeah. Edgar Wiggins is the executive director. Uh, they uh, staff our 24-7 crisis information and referral line, which is a 24-7 number, number where people can call for assistance with uh, getting connected to substance use disorder treatment or mental health treatment. So it was an ideal uh, provider to provide this service. Because when an officer sees somebody on the street and they're arrested, instead of actually sending them to jail, they're provided um, services. So it prevents people even from going into jail. But who's providing the services once that happens? Baltimore Crisis Response. They have they they have a staff. People they have a staff. So who's the? I who, who, I mean, so, so let's say it'll be a clinician. Let, let's say that 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 Captain, one of Captain Roven's men and women sees somebody in the street. Uh, they're either trying to uh, solicit somebody uh, in prostitution, or they have some heroin or marijuana, whatever things ha- drugs they have on them. Uh, so, so, you, so what? Let's just walk through a scenario here. So you, so they, so what happens with your office oh, on the street? Okay, so for us uh, in our pilot area that we have designed set up, um, my officer would come in contact with some with a person that had an infraction that fits the lead quality. So a minor drug offense, something that's just for personal use, not for distribution, uh, a prostitution. Um, and then they look at the criterias of whether um, they're on parole or probation, uh, which would eliminate them from the program. It would eliminate them. It would eliminate them at, for now, the way the program is set up, because a judge sets those parole and probations. So it would be a violation with the offense um, for that judge's parole or probation. So we've kind of eliminated that for the time being until we can work some other things out as well. Um, w- once we've realized and, and, and come into contact with them and say that they are lead qualify and they say, I want to do this program, because it's really their option. They can either choose to do it or choose not to do it. Some will choose it. Some will not do it. You know, sometimes it's easier to go to central booking for a minor offense and arrest and they're out in 24 hours. Um, then they deal with drug court as far as that goes. Uh, this, what they do is we'll take them into the central district, which is where the office is going to be housed. Um, because the program is downtown in my area there. Um, they'll immediately see a case manager, a peer, and a clinician um, right off the back. They're going to be staffed inside my station during the um, pilot hours. Um, so from there, once uh, the officer gets done, what they have to do as far as the documentation and all goes, we hand off to the case manager, and then the case manager runs with uh, the program. 
and the case manager will do an assessment and work with the individual to identify their unique needs. It's a harm reduction approach. Not every individual is ready for abstinence-only treatment. So we look individually at any need that the individual might have, whether it be housing, entitlements, health care, and help get them connected to all the resources that they need. So I have some questions. I guess some questions that came up in the show more last time, and they're not the easiest questions when I asked them. So one, so one of the things the article said in the Sun, at any rate, that I read was that you can, you can only take care of sixty people at a time. What does that mean? Sixty people. What does sixty mean in what period of time? What does that mean? Sixty people at a time. So because this is a pilot project, and we're trying to um, work. As, uh, as uh, Captain said, work out the kinks and figure out sort of what the flow will be. Um, the pilot number is 60. Um, with what the what idea, does that mean, the pilot number is 60? The, it it means that um, at any given time, 60 individuals will be uh, receiving the case management associated with the program. Um, again, as a way to make certain that the program has the fidelity that we want before we scale it up. Because what we didn't want to do um, is say, we're going to open up this lead program, have it all across the city, have, uh, you know, in one district is being done this way and another district is being done that way. We have no sense of sort of what is, is the most uh, uh, um, appropriate way, what's the most effective way, because although we're learning from Seattle and, and um, Albany and Santa Fe and other places that have done this, Baltimore is a different place. And so we want to scale this up in a way that makes sense for Baltimore City. So when, uh, just, just to be clear, so I'm still not clear on that, that. So 60 minutes, so how long is this program for? What's the pilot program from? What, what, what's the life of this program? So so right now we're in the initial pilot phase, which um, the grant that we gave was an 18-month grant to sort of get to, to get those kinks figured out. But then, you know, the, the hope is that um, we're going to learn from this and then we'll be able to uh, find sources of funding to make it sustainable. So so when if it's 18 months and you're 60 people, does that mean that it will only take care of 60 people in 18 months? Or does that mean every time you hit the threshold of 60 that it shuts down until somebody leaves a program or somebody else new? Before you can anybody else can come in, How, what does that mean? So it means really 60 people at any one point in time. So somebody could come in and have real intensive needs that we're working with every day, but then maybe after a month or two are doing better and could get connected into ongoing services um, in the community, which allows us to then take another person into the project. So, so it's a point in time. Okay. That's a, I, that wasn't clear from the article. I, was, I, wanted, I wanted to be on and said from listeners. So folks, do join us out there, 410-319-8888. Last time we talked about this, you had a lot of ideas. I want to hear what you're thinking. Uh, so join us by phone at 410-319-8888. Send us an email to talk at steinershow.org. Tweet us at Mark Steiner with your comment or question. Jump onto our Facebook page, which I'll check in a moment. Mark Steiner Show, 410-319-8888. So another difficult question that kind of came up. There's a lot of questions I have about this. And I think that, A, let me just say that I think it's important that we switch our way of doing business in terms of um, policing, public safety, and criminal justice is very critical. So it's been a mainstay of this show for the last 24 years, and it will continue so. so um, but w w how was the district chosen? And I ask this question f for, for a reason. Because it's... It, it's it, well, you, go ahead, Captain, and I'll, I'll set. Okay. One thing is it was assigned to me, and I'm assigned to the Central District. Um, the other thing is we chose the actual geographic areas because I have a set group of officers that work that area. So I have Lexington Market officers that are assigned just to the Lexington Market area. So they're very familiar with the area. They have already built a lot of relationships in the area. And we really want the pilot program to be successful. 
So we chose that area in which uh, my officers had the greatest thing. Plus, it's closer to resources. Um, Behavioral uh, Health Baltimore is right down the street. Um, also, we were able to house it inside my station, which is centrally located in, in downtown area. So there was quite a few factors that wanted. Your station was police headquarters? Is that what the station yes. was? That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, so from Lexington Market down there, I got, what, about an eight-block ride maybe from there. So really having the resources located there for this program were essential, and having my, my officers, which are, are, are key to the success of the program um, outside of the providers as well. So uh, that was why the area was chosen. So and I, so here's the jaundiced response to that. When, I, when we first heard that this was the area, my, I said, okay, so we're having all these battles over gentrification in Baltimore. Um, we had people in this program, an anonymous officer, saying once that um, we were, uh, uh, we're told to keep people away from the theater district. And that's what we're doing, away from the theater district. So this is the upcoming theater district, upcoming apartments for up, are upscale. So why was this location chosen as opposed to Sandtown or a neighborhood that is really depressed where lots of people probably could use these services rather than a downtown neighborhood that people have seemed to, quote, unquote, trying to secure uh, to get um, middle class folks back in? I mean, that, 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 that was, I'll be honest with you, that was my first thought sure. as soon as I saw what the neighborhood was. It, it, but you have to look, too, at the area, Mark is I have a large population down there, transient and, and, and everything else, uh, both working class, both lower class, both, both um, every walk of life comes through Lexington Market area. If you're down there, no, I'm, I love I'm sure yeah. everyone comes through that. Right. So we're really affecting a wide variety of people when we did choose that area and having my officers, my, most of my officers in that area have been there anywhere from five to 10 years assigned to Lexington Market. So knowing that area, knowing the, knowing the clientele in that area was really key to uh, get this program successful. Once we get the pilot program up and running, we really want to see it go citywide because we really believe that much in the program and its success. So go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, so I, I can say that Scott um, Nolan. Yeah, yeah. Um, Scott Nolan from Open just Society let, Institute. Yeah, Baltimore. Just folks know who you are. All right. Um, so uh, I I had similar uh, uh, questions when when I heard about uh, the, the 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 location, um, and you know we looked at the uh, arrest numbers because I just wanted to make certain that you know that there would be arrest numbers that there would be sort of diversity of of, of individuals who might come in contact with the police, and through looking at that, I was very satisfied that. You know, this wouldn't be a, a, a situation where um, we would be creating a racial dis- uh, disparity in, in access right. to this program. Uh, but but I do very much take that because at Open Society Institute, we are very concerned about racial justice. And so, um, you know, but the number one thing for a program like this, when you're standing up and people are going to have questions and, and some folks will be critical. And, and I, for one, welcome all of that because we need to make certain that this is something that Baltimore City can own. Uh, but but the number one thing is that we make sure that we're that it, the, the feasibility of what we're doing and that and that there's an uh, integrity to the model. So before we scale it up and, and that for me uh, was critically important. And, and then as we talk about scaling to other districts, we need to think about sort of making certain that we aren't doing something that would um, create access to a program for certain groups of folks but not for others. And, and, and I, but I think that's in the scale-up component. Right now we really need to make certain that, you know, that, that, that the program works. Uh, so, is there any question that it works? I mean, if you look at other cities, I in, mean, in Baltimore, right? Because again, so what, how Baltimore, do you see it differently working here? And I, I have a I have a nephew who is a 
police officer in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I, I couldn't get to him. I was going to call him and ask him how mm-hmm. it's working there because yeah. he's probably one of the guys working in it, mm-hmm. knowing him. Um, so, so, but I'm so curious, I would, so, so I would think about it like a, the, the engine to a car. You can't just take the engine out of a Trans Am and put it in a pickup truck. The engine works. We, you you know the engine works, and so because Baltimore is different, Baltimore has a different history. We want to be sensitive to that. Baltimore. So, what, do we, what do we mean by different? Is what I'm trying to get to. What, what are you talking about? Different? So, f- so for instance, in Seattle, um, the process came came about very differently. There was there was a legal battle that was going on in the courts around disparity, um, and they were trying to figure out how to address that. That's that's just a different evolution. They were trying to get to the same place that we're trying to get to, but we started from a place of um, having everyone around a table, so we didn't have that that you know racial disparity legal uh, 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 component, and so we're doing it differently than Seattle did. We're learning from what Seattle did, but we're doing it quite different from the way Seattle did, and and the several other places around uh, the country that are that are doing it different uh, uh, as well, and so that that's that's the point is that we don't want to just say oh lead works. Let's just do it in Baltimore. Let's just do exactly what Seattle did, and let's not be thoughtful about the needs of the community, uh, and, and, and that being the Central District, um, that being Sandtown, wherever we uh, uh, expand this to, we want to be thoughtful about that particular area and what the needs are of that area, and not just sort of try to do this as a cookie-cutter thing. So when people are, uh, uh, theoretically, when you stop somebody um, and they're taken in, so... Uh, when you said they're taken to Central, mm-hmm. which is the, the, uh, where your where your district is, um, is that kind of stigmatizing or frightening for the person being taken in? Is there a reason doing that rather than taking them to a neutral location, a community center, a hospital, some other place, uh, rather than the police department? I, I don't foresee that being a problem. Um, of course. We're in the pilot, so we don't know if it's going to be a problem for us yet or not. Mm-hmm. Um, How deep are we into this? A month? We're, no, the kickoff yeah. actually starts on the— Oh, it hasn't n- started yet. The 21st yeah. is our first day in full swing, shall Next we say. Next Tuesday. We did oh. the press conference last okay. week. I, mm-hmm. I wasn't yeah. clear about that. Okay. So Thank the you, 21st is our, real, is, our, is our hard kickoff for everything right. to start. Um, so we evaluate every two weeks. We meet as a team. We look at what's going on. Where we're at, the team being the team being um, behavioral health systems, Baltimore Police Department, State Attorney's Office, uh, all of our key stakeholders will get together, um, the service providers, and and figure out are we on the right track? Because you can't put a cookie cutter, as as he was saying, program out. We've seen that in Baltimore many times before. It just doesn't work. Right. So this is our way of being unique in how we're doing things. We looked at Seattle, and you said what was what was some of the success in Seattle. It's not only monetary. Everyone thinks about monetary. But Seattle's seeing a double-digit reduction in recidivism. So people that Since their program. Since their program. And their program, I believe, is four years, five years now in the, uh, in the process. So, and now they're starting to expand. You know, they started out in Belltown, and now they're moving to other neighborhoods where they Belltown. can— Belltown, that's where it started, okay. Correct. Right. Yeah, so yeah, that's, yeah. Where they're, mm-hmm. that's where they're going to—they're starting to uh, branch out their, their, their program. So— we really need to make sure that we were sound in what we're doing. Krista? Seattle is also seeing that people are better off by getting services instead of being incarcerated. So they're seeing a reduction or an increase in people obtaining housing, employment, and income as well because they're actually getting the services they need rather than going in and out, in and out of the system. Our behavioral health system 
too often, we, we know this, too many people with substance use disorder and mental illness end up in jails and prisons. And this is a way to prevent that from even happening and not have this be something hanging over their head um, a year, two years from now when they go and get employment. So this is really, uh, really diverting people out of the system. So was there? Well, I was just going to say another uh, reason for sort of the incremental rollout that I think is really important is that this is a different model, as as was stated. This is a harm reduction model, which is as as opposed to um, an incarceration based model, right? So as as a harm reduction model, you're taking lots of things into account um, that that maybe some of our uh, stakeholders haven't thought about before. So I actually got the opportunity to to visit Seattle and sit down with some of the folks who were. Uh, in, involved in the rollout, and, and one of the, the the most memorable conversations I had was with the prosecutor um, who was who was assigned to this uh, to this role, and her, and her, having her talk about sort of um, managing uh, 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 the situation where maybe someone has um, a warrant over here. Uh, or, or or something of that nature, like reaching out to the prosecutor in that other district and say, look, um, you know, this guy's been in this program for, for five months. He's put on 20 pounds. You know, he's, he's uh, you know, reconnected with his family. Like, if you know, we understand that he didn't show uh, for this particular court appearance, but this isn't the time to sweep the rug from under him, right? And and having that conversation, that's a different model uh, from the model uh, that, that many places have used uh, previously in terms terms of uh, you know uh, control uh, and 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 a, and a criminal justice response uh, to, to sort of every uh, time that the person uh, has an issue whereas now we're, we're, ha- we're taking a harm reduction response where we're thinking uh, not just what does the law say but sort of what's going to help this person along in their journey uh, towards wellness and and so that is that's a new model that you know that Judges and police officers and even healthcare providers are going to have to think about it in a different way. So, was there in the process? Of, wait, uh, Chris, go ahead. I'm sorry. You looked like you were about to say something. No, I just want to add the harm reduction um, component of it. Um, an important um, part of the staffing is peers. Um, so, people with lived experience are going to be engaging uh, the lead participants. Um, and working with them and using their own experience from their own life to talk about uh, the help that is out there that people can take advantage of to really turn their life around. That, I, was, you took, I was about to ask a question about who's actually doing the work on the ground with the people who are coming in, because that's a critical component of this. We, um, I mean, I don't think we use enough or effectively understand in this city enough uh, the, 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 the power and effectiveness of using uh, former sex workers, people who have been felons, people who have been addicts, to actually do the day-to-day work with people. It's, it's so effective, and we just don't employ enough or use enough of our funds in that way in the city. I 100% agree with that. I'm a clinical social worker, and you know we know treatment, but we don't know everything. And really Thank having <laughs> somebody there, I'm the first to say that. Right, we really right. don't. We are, we are not the expert here. The client that we're working with and the peer that we can offer who has gone through and can talk about their experience with the client, that's where the connection happens. That's where the success happens. We have to take a very short break. We're going to come right back. Join us here at 410-319-8888. Uh, more questions in the next 20 minutes of the conversation, so please stay with us.
Welcome back, folks. This is Mark Steiner right here on The Mark Steiner Show on your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. We're talking about a new program starting here in Baltimore with the police department uh, and the state's attorney's office and um, other parts of our city to uh, not arrest people who are committing uh, who, who, for low-level drug crimes, uh, carrying small amounts of, 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 of uh, illegal drugs, uh, or for solicitation on the streets. Um, you can join us here at 410-319-8888. We're here with Krista Taylor, who is Vice President for Programs of the Behavioral Health System of Baltimore, Captain James Roden, who is the with the Baltimore City Police Department. It, it's coming under his uh, command. Scott Nolan, Director of the Drug Addiction Treatment Program for Open Society Institute Baltimore, which is one of the main funders of this program and has been working on this around the country. 410-319-8888 is a number. Tweet us at Mark Steiner. Uh, write us, send us an email to talk at steinershow.org. So, a couple of questions here about this. So, A, a lot of the people who are arrested for drugs or for prostitution have records, uh, are on parole and probation. So, is, is there a reluctance on the part of the state and the judicial system to allow people who have records or are on parole and probation to uh, to be part of this program? I mean, well, I, when, when we first said that, Captain, that was my first thought was, well, why wouldn't they be included? I mean, it seemed to be, be, be a prime population to be included. They're already in the system, and they have to, and, and these are the folks who could be adjudicated and, and kind of treated. So what was the reluctance to include that? Do we know? So, and I'll kind of chime in on that for some of the meetings. Uh, each judge describes their parole and probation. Um, so collectively, everyone would have to agree on saying, okay, yes, this would be good to go into the program. I think it's not that you can't be part of the program. So we have a, it, it's a two-pronged program, and, and some of that may not have been mentioned in the article you read. So once we get this uh, arrest referral, uh, pre-arrest referral up and running, we also have what's called a social referral. So they may be originally at the time of arrest not eligible to participate, but that doesn't mean they can't participate. So that information that we would collect, we would then pass off to our service provider um, to look at once they get done with the uh, arrest process. So, and if they go into our program, you know, we have the, the relationships with the state's attorney's office and saying, hey, look, we got this guy or girl here, you know, can you talk to the judge for us? You know, what can we do? And really the collaborative effort that has come around this mm -hmm. program, I've been here almost 25 years in the police department, I've never seen this much uh, of the stakeholders sit down in one room, not agree on everything, but able to hash out what we want to see this program become. And it, it's been amazing. So, uh, so w when we talk about scaling this up, I mean, I mean, let's take a step backwards from a minute. So, so when if if somebody is stopped and they have a, an outstanding warrant, somebody is stopped and they are on, a, on parole or probation. I mean, so what's the, so is the process different then? Are they brought in to the station with everybody else and then interviewed and see if something can be worked out? Or do they then go right to uh, the detention center uh, and, 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 and booked? I mean, how does it work out for those folks? Because, you know, we still have the issue of money bail in the city, which has become a huge problem and still battling it out in the state legislature to get rid of money bail. So, so how does that work out for, for folks who in, in that area? So it could work out in several ways. One way is that we actually have to process the warrant because, you know, the warrant can only be recalled by the judge that was issued. But we also have a state's attorney that's on call for us that's working with us as well. Um, 
who may be able to make some phone calls, see what we can do to try to help this individual out instead of going into the arrest process. So it really all depends on um, getting all the pieces together and, and seeing whether one person is willing to do this um, or not. So it, the worst case scenario is we have to run through the arrest process um, and try to work it out on the back end. So um, the, I'm thinking about talking about scaling this up. So right now it's all, it's all being funded by OSI, ABLE, and... Um, there's some state dollars as well um, from uh, the governor's office on crime control and prevention. Prevention, yeah, right. Um, so, so, the, so there's, you know, uh, which I think is important because that's a recognition from the state that this has some value. And, and I think, you know, not to speak for the state, but, but um, that there's some hope amongst uh, uh, um, folks that this will be really successful in Baltimore and um, other areas of the state may also be able to, to learn from, from this effort. Krista, go ahead. Um, I think it's just really important to stress that this is very unique in Maryland. Um, this is before, you know, this is before people get into the system. Uh, once people are in the system, like you were talking about, there are other avenues like drug courts and mental health courts that people can then be diverted out into the community. But at that point, they've already been processed and they're in jail. Um, this is really preventing that from even happening. And this is a pilot, um, but this could hopefully go citywide and go further than the city because it is very unique and has been successful in other areas. So, I mean, but if it goes citywide, for argument's sake, I mean, then, then, it, then we talk about money. I mean, then you're talking about either, you know, changing the way we fund policing and w there's money, go you know, that, and some people would argue, don't throw anything at me here. Just argue that less money would go to the police, and we, we get to programs. The, the, the amount of money goes goes into programs, into housing, and things like that. So the police can actually then focus in on the real violent offenders that are disrupting our communities. I mean, so I mean, there's a question: is how, how do you scale this up? I mean, there's not enough funding via OSI, Able Foundation, and the rest to make this work long term. Mm -hmm. So, so how does that happen? How, what are your What are your thoughts about how that? Happens? Yeah. So, so a, as a part of this effort, uh, one of the things, and I'm not certain if this was in the article, is that there have been four committees that have been meeting now for I, we may be approaching two years. I mean, year definitely more than a year and a half. Um, so you've been playing this. This has been this, this has been a conversation so for we, a while. We we spent a year of just planning, um, and and those four committees. You know, one is is around the policing, the law enforcement component. One is around the clinical component. Um, at one is around evaluation uh, because we want to, again, sh show that this uh, uh, product uh, is effective, um, that it's uh, impacting public safety, that it's improving the lives of individuals who go through the program. Uh, but then the fourth committee that's been meeting has been around sustainability. And that's a really important uh, uh, um, question because, as you've stated, uh, OSI, we can't fund this in perpetuity, and, and, and I'm certain neither can the other uh, funders that are, that are at the table. But, but there are some things that we can uh, think about in terms of Medicaid reimbursement for a lot of the services that, that people may uh, um, be receiving. That, that could do a lot to cut the overall cost of the program. And I think in Maryland and across the state, across the country, I should say, um, people have been having this conversation about we need to think smarter about our dollars. Right. Um, and that's not to say that public safety and law enforcement aren't important, but that there are things that we could do to make their jobs easier, to allow them to focus on things that really uh, uh, improve public safety. Uh, and, and so one thing I would say, uh, you know, um, to, to underscore Krista's point, uh, if we were to think about what are the top reasons why people get incarcerated, and we could, you know, there's, there's a lot of different right, reasons. Right, right. But let's say, let's say for the sake of argument, mental health, 
uh, a substance use or addiction, and then something that we could call like lack of employable skills or, or, or something of that nature are, are, are three of the biggest reasons, right? Um, if someone commits a minor infraction and they get two or three years of incarceration, all we've really done is we kick that can down the road two to three years, right? Because in all likelihood, the stress of being incarcerated isn't going to do a whole lot to help someone who's already got a predisposition for mental health issues. Uh, and, and while there are treatment options that are available uh, and when, when individuals are incarcerated, all of that can be done in the community and, and probably cheaper. Well, I mean, uh, we, we, we've talked a lot about that. I mean, that mm-hmm. on, on this program over the years, especially in the last couple of years, and mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll come back to that. Maybe okay. it's a point of a much larger discussion mm-hmm. to have on the show, which I think we have to have. Mm-hmm. Jackie tweeted back uh, from one of our tweets out this morning, I have a ton of faith in BCRI and BHSB. That's you, I guess, right? That's us, yes. <laughs> Just checking. <laughs> uh, and hashtag lead as, as intended, but uh, hashtag Baltimore Police, contact, contact in context looms large. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that that's part of what I was say, saying earlier. I mean, it's just so... It's that that if they're, you know, we we've talked in the show before that if um, I was thinking about the time that that twelve year old boy was a, a kid was shot in the leg by a police officer, he had a basketball in his hand and a toy gun. Remember that when that happened, um, and that caused a huge consternation in the community when the kid was shot. Um, then one of the things we said in this program: Can you imagine though if the lead in our communities when it came to dealing with that? Uh, where people like Safe Streets or former sex workers who are now community health workers, if they had confronted that little boy with that toy gun and a basketball, how the outcome might have been very different. So the question is, and I think that's the context that Jackie was talking about. I mean, if if at some point the way we handle this is something you were alluding to, Scott, which is having other first responders out in the community who are addressing these things so the police don't aren't the first responders in these kinds of things and then police can be the first responders when it comes to people who are carjacking us in the middle of the day you know what i'm saying so i think that's that 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 and could change the whole nature of how we do things and, and that's really where the program goes the 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 arrest aversion is just the beginning of the program but then like we talked earlier the social referrals those social referrals can come from anybody so they can come from my um, stakeholders, uh, local hospitals. It can come from my business owners around Lexington Market, and we've had numerous meetings with them in reference to it as well. So as soon as this initial phase gets rolled out and we start gauging where we're going with it, that's another little branch that's going to happen is uh, the social referral part of the program. And I want to add, to that, you know, our system doesn't work well right now. Right, and right, it, right. And it won't change won't happen overnight, but we, as the behavioral health system, have a wonderful partnership with the police department who wants to do things different. And over time, we can shift that system to be exactly what you're talking about. And, and like Captain Roden said, to, to move away from this even having to be arrest and move towards the social referrals and build up the infrastructure that's needed to have a, a different kind of first responder. And we're doing that in our partnership with the police department around LEAD and some other projects. Let, let me jump back on the phones here. 410-319-8888. And Sergeant Freeman, you're on the air. Welcome. Hello, Mark. Good morning. I was on earlier, but... Uh, oh, same part. Go ahead, yeah. Yeah, Welcome. but you know, I'm for the... First of all, I'm Air Force for 10 years, United States Air Force. And one of the things... I think your, your guests are totally spot on. Because right now, in the mayor's initiative, is called a... a, a 
vet court where you can arrest you, uh, veterans on the street and you may get arrested. But but the, the key is is this: there's referrals into the Veterans Administration for them to get case management. So the difference between what your your guests are doing versus that is that it's a facilitated thing within uh, the cooperation with city and also with the Veterans Administration, and it works because they can handle and get all their basic uh, needs at that point and to identify whatever is their uh, focus of what their 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 uh, ultimate situation is to keep them out of the uh, judicial system basically so what you're looking at is obviously is an early intervention situation and that 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 also parlays and the optics are also into gun violence and, and adolescence and so forth and whatever okay. and it saves money and it keeps people out of court ultimately that type of thing generationally will stop a child from shooting someone later and you're dealing with the actual cancerous situation and identifying it right now before it gets totally full-blown and and it can work and I don't know all the thing particulars about this particular program but in on my way out the door that I was leaving I had to stop and I came back I said I have to listen to these individuals because I believe whatever you guys are trying to do sir everybody on the panel there you're spot on, and you and you you are approaching it from a, a a different angle that no one approaches this type of systemic issue from a social society and economic situation. So what I'm asking you to do, and I have an organization, and I need to get you guys' phone number and emails and whatever. So please do that because you will be helping grassroots organizations throughout the Baltimore City, Seattle, Chicago, and so forth, whatever. And it seems to me, I know you have aims on Chicago and some of the distressed areas around the country. And I think if you guys can blueprint this thing here in Baltimore, you can take it around the country. It's not a doubt. So I appreciate the call. You can always leave your name and number, and we'll hand out the right people here. They can contact you, um, and we'll do that. So pick his name and number, and we'll give it to the folks here before they leave. Um, so, you know, as scaling this up again, I mean, it, it's one thing, uh, you know, Captain, to, to work with the men you're working with who you know really well since you work with them every day, and you say they've been in this particular neighborhood for five years. And, um, and But, you know, the, there's a – it, it would be a – much bigger hurdle, I think, to jump when you talk about the mass of police officers being trained in this, given the present relationship some officers have, some officers have with the community and the tension exists between the community, especially in poor black neighborhoods, with the police, and and how that would you know how this would kind of cha- change. I mean, that's a very it's a, it's, a, it's a different it's a different thing when you scale this up. Sure, and and in anything, you crawl before you walk. You know, so this is our this is our crawling phase. So within the central district, I have 120 some officers that we fully trained, being lead trained, um, crisis intervention as well, uh, to get this get us to a point where we're ready to start this program. So yes, would it be would it be a hurdle to go throughout the whole city? Absolutely. But I think once we've gotten our feet wet and we we have our program down the way we want to. It's going to be a matter of doing little tweaks as we move around from community to community and district to district. Um, but I think we'll, we'll, be, we'll ultimately be successful. We just have to get through our crawling phase now to where we can actually walk and then we can start running. And, and, and I just Scott want to say, Nolan. again, from, uh, 
from my visit to Seattle and you talk about building trust, it takes time to build trust. But one of the stories that they told um, when they first started their uh, project, they had um, they, they did it in a way where they had red days and green days. And so on red days, they sort of did their, their sort of what they normally would do. And on green days, they were referring people to lead. And it was a way to sort of look at see what the different outcomes were, whether someone went through business as usual or whether they went through lead. Well, that got out into the community. People realized that there were red days and green days. And so um, one day they had uh, uh, one of the officers had a woman walk up to him and say, is this a red day or a green day? Because because <laughs> because I want to uh-huh. essentially sort of turn myself over to you for you to refer me into this program because the program had developed trust in the community. And so that didn't happen on day one. Uh, and, and we wouldn't expect that it would happen on day one here. But over time, as people start to realize that this isn't some sort of a trick, this isn't a thing to get people to snitch. I mean, all of those kinds of things that I, that I know um, might be concerns about the community over time they will begin to recognize that this is a program that is really meant to meet me where I am and help me with what I need help with. So describe a bit, Krista, before we have to break here, what, 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 from your end. So who are the people actually providing the services? I mean, you're not doing it, but you're kind of overseeing it. I mean, and how does that work? How's that process going to work when somebody's brought in and, and accepted? Sure. Uh, so the officer is going to do the screen, um, and they will contact uh, Baltimore Crisis Response, which will have a clinician, a case manager, and a peer. The clinician will pr- most likely be the first point of contact uh, in no less than 30 minutes because the goal is to get the officer back out onto the street and the uh, clinical team to take over. They'll do a, an assessment. They'll sit down. They'll talk with the client about what their needs are, what their wishes are, what they want help with, and come up with a service plan that can get them connected to the resources that can help them turn their life around. And so, but the initial interview is done by the police. The initial interview, we're going to assess them to see whether they fit the criteria for the program and um, ask them, do you want to be part of this program? Because like I said, it's a completely voluntary. So if they say, no, I don't want to be part of the program, then we'll continue with business as usual on the other end. So then we bring them in contact with the case management uh, system, and uh, that's where they take over. The good thing with this is we meet every two weeks to discuss the cases. So my officers, which is one of my buy-ins that I really have for my officers, is going to know where that person is uh, in the process and how they're doing. So when, usually when we arrest somebody, the next time we see them is in court or the next time we lock them up. Well, this is going to give my officers a chance to see the progression that we're going through uh, this person and how, what the successes are for that. So in the two minutes we have left, Scott, what, what, what to you is success in this program we're in, in 18 months? So, so the, there are two ultimate goals uh, from, from Open Society Institute Baltimore's standpoint that we believe that this program is going to get us towards. One is just reducing the harms associated with substance use, both the, the health harms, but also the harms of being arrested and being having your life disrupted and being sent through the criminal justice system. Uh, and then the, the second uh, sort of major strategic reason why we support this program is that we have a goal of reducing incarceration uh, in Maryland by 40% by the year 2023. And we think uh, because such a large percentage of people who are in the, the criminal justice system have substance use issues, that, that this is a, a place where we have to be working in order to make that happen. Well, we'll follow this very carefully with all of you and bring, we'll have these conversations and watch what goes on and, and maybe even talk to some of the clients, other people once you get through this and other people in the program and some of your offices as well and continue our conversation, Scott. So I want to thank you all for coming in and let's, 
make this thing work. Scott Nolan is director of the Drug, the Drug Addiction Treatment Program for the Open Society Institute Baltimore. Captain James Roden is with the City Police Department. Uh, he's overseeing this program. Uh, Krista Taylor is vice president of programs for the Behavioral Health System of Baltimore, which is going to monitor and take care of the men and women who are part of this program. Thank the three of you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to take a very short break. When we come back, we'll be seeing what's in this week's city paper and learn about the Nazi history in Baltimore of the 1930s. Thank you.